Well, yeah, it's an elephant. You can't miss it. But I get this feeling that nobody else around here sees it. And if they do, they definitely don't talk about it. But it's not something we discuss. You know, I just started to think they just don't like me. But, you know, I gotta go out of my way to get attention around here. And I mean, what else am I supposed to do? They just ignore me. I learned a long time ago that there are things you just don't talk about. Three things. We don't talk about politics, we don't talk about church, and we don't talk about the elephant. And I've been around this place long enough to know we definitely don't talk about the elephant. We don't have an elephant problem. Uh, because, as you know, if, if anybody would know we had one, it would, of course, be me. And so if someone is, is talking about, quite frankly, they're probably talking about someplace else. I mean, I, maybe someplace they visited or someplace that they've been in the last week. I, I, maybe at home, quite frankly. But here in our office, <laughs> we, uh, no, I, no, I certainly would have seen the elephant uh, if there was one. I'm everywhere, so there's, there's no way. None at all. <laughs> all right. All right, I'm gonna try it again. There's a lot of pressure right now. All right, and okay. take 17. <laughs> all right, here we go. <clears throat> well, good morning. Uh, for all those who pay very, very close attention to the elephant in the room this morning is that I'm not Mike Tuttle. Uh, my name's Adam Leopard. I'm a discipleship pastor, and Mike is um, at home, I think, just sleeping, taking a nap. Uh, no, he's sick. <clears throat> he's sick, and he couldn't be here with us. It, it, you know, it's serious. It's not that serious. I've talked myself into a hole now. Let's get started. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, one of the things that I always love to do in student ministry is uh, would you rather questions? And I did them a lot because, like, I liked it. I don't know if students liked it so much, but I liked it. And so we're going to play would you rather this morning. And so what I would ask you to do, if you would so indulge me, is to answer these would you rather questions, um, preferably with someone that you didn't come with, Okay. But if that's just not possible because you're sitting by yourself in a row or whatever, that's okay. Just talk to somebody. Don't answer them to yourself because you already know. Okay? Can we do that? All right, let's do this. You guys are so excited. I can feel it. The anticipation is, uh, is very high. Okay, would you rather <clears throat> always have to skip everywhere or always have to run everywhere? So you're either very happy about where you're going or intensely you need to get there right now. Okay, so would you skip or run? Tell somebody around you. How many skippers do we have in the room? Not captains of a ship, but people who skip everywhere. Wow, that's overwhelming. We have a happy crowd today. How many people are running? I'm here. Okay, all right, not as many. That's probably normal. That's probably good. Skipping, don't run places. Would you rather eat only Brussels sprouts for every meal for the rest of your life or smell like Brussels sprouts for the rest of your life? So, how many people are like, I already smell like Brussels sprouts. I got that. <laughs> it's okay. No. Who, who's going to eat the Brussels sprouts? 
All right. That's a very responsible and nutritious choice. How many people are like, give me the Skittles because I'm going to smell like Brussels sprouts? <laughs> All right. Skittles was not a part of that. I must want Skittles right now. Would you rather, before I say this one, the response to this one was overwhelming in a surprising direction. The last service, we'll see what you guys say. So would you rather be itchy for the rest of your life or be sticky for the rest of your life? I mean, seriously, like the whole room picked one of these two. So how many people are going to be itchy for the rest of their life? You guys too. How many people are going to be sticky? Gross, all right? <laughs> like, I mean, I'm not saying I would have chose otherwise, but it shouldn't be this lopsided, I think. I think I would also be sticky, but I think that's a weird choice. Anyway, would you rather have never-ending hiccups or always feel like you have to sneeze, but you're never able to? Somebody's mad at me about that one. <laughs> so I'm sorry, okay? Who's, who's going to um, just perpetual hiccups? It's my rapper name. Uh, who's going to have to sneeze but never be able to? All right. I love to sneeze. So give me hiccups. You know what I mean? Like sneezing is one of the little joys in life that we just happen into. But the truth is, uh, we're starting a series today called The Elephant in the Room, and the truth is, we play Would You Rather in real life. And we make decisions. Would we rather do this or would we rather do that? Would we rather talk about this or would we rather talk about that? And when it comes to topics of conversation, the number one would you rather not talk about topic is money. In fact, in a new survey um, from Wells and Fargo and company, they found that the clear winner is money. In fact, 44% of Americans point to personal finances as the most challenging chat anyone can possibly have, which beats out death at 38%, politics at 35%, and religion at 32%. And with all of that, we're going to talk about all four today. I'm just kidding. Um, but we are going to talk about money today. Because like I said, we're starting this new series called The Elephant in the Room. And to get us all on the same page, um, an elephant in the room is a phrase used for an obvious problem that everyone is acutely aware of, but nobody wants to talk about because it would be uncomfortable. So why is money the biggest elephant in the room? And see if any of these are accurate for yourself. Money is hard to talk about because everyone has different priorities. So let's play would you rather again, but you don't have to answer them out loud, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. Would you rather save your money and have a big savings account or spend your money and get your kids new, new clothes for school every year? Would you rather pay off your school loans or would you rather buy a house? Would you rather have a big elaborate wedding or would you rather have a big expensive honeymoon? We have different priorities. And sometimes with the person that you're supposed to be on the same page with the most, your spouse, it's like, I want the wedding. I want the honeymoon. And so it's an elephant in the room and you just start to avoid it. Money's hard to talk about because everyone thinks that everybody else has more of it, which I think is made worse in the Facebook world, right? I mean, look at, look at the car they drive or the house they live in or the clothes they wear. You see their pictures and they're eating out again or vacationing again, or they're doing that cool thing again that you've been trying to save money on, but you've not been able to do because you don't have enough. And obviously they do have enough. And I see the evidence of it right there on my phone every time I open up that app. Money's hard to talk about because people choose different paths. You started your adult life in a similar place as the people you went to high school, but your financial situation is drastically different by the five-year reunion or the 10-year or the 20-year reunion. 
Or maybe money's hard to talk about because old habits die hard. Maybe your family didn't talk about money, or perhaps it was a source of stress that could never be avoided. And so many children learn at a very young age that money is a taboo topic. Case in point, 72% of parents, 72% of parents are reluctant to talk to their kids about money for one reason or another. It was something you grew up learning not to talk about. Because every time it came up, it was just like a, a grenade had been lobbed in the conversation and you knew it was going to explode at any moment and there was tension. Kids attach emotions to it that they hold long into adulthood. And so it's not surprising that 88% of millennial couples say that financial decisions are a source of tension in their relationship. So here's a couple questions. Is money the elephant in the room in your home? And if it is, is there any wonder? Here's how you'd know. We don't talk about it. One person takes care of the finances and the other person just goes about living life and it never comes up and you're trying to manage this thing, but you never ever talk about it because you know exactly how that conversation is going to end and it's with you in a different room as your spouse and you guys are not happy with each other. Here's another question. Is money the elephant in the room at MCC? Or at least for you or maybe me as we sit here talking about it. And here's how we would know. When you heard we were talking about money, the first reaction was, what? We're talking about this again? I would rather we talked about sex or politics or anything else other than money. Please put anything else up here other than money. I don't want to talk about this again. But look at what Karen Joy Fowler said. When there's an invisible elephant in the room, one is bound from time to time to trip over a trunk. And here's the thing. If we never talk about the elephant in the room, there will be misunderstandings that you can never resolve. So, let's begin to clear this up. Let's talk about it, and let's talk about it from a perspective of what does God want us to know about money? And just so you know, we already took up the offering. There's not going to be a special offering at the end because you're so convicted by what I'm about to say that we're going to get you for all you got. No, we're just going to talk about and look at what the Bible has to say about how God feels about us and what God wants for us and what he wants for our finances. And so God would say what? It's easy sometimes to think through these things, and I think that a lot of people sometimes go down this road. They imagine that God would say, I'm disappointed with you. You're incompetent. You're stupid. Why would I trust you with anything? You blew it again. Here's the thing. I believe that those words are whispered in our ear from time to time, but not by God, not by your father, not by your dad in heaven who's looking down at you and, and trying to get you to understand what he wants from you. I think that God would look you right in your eyes and say to you, I love you. The reason I think that God would say that to us is because anytime my son has a temper tantrum and he gets in trouble and his timeout is over, the very first thing Emily or I say to him is, bud, I love you but you can't do that. You're just gonna get yourself in trouble. 
Right now it's I love you, but you cannot just tip the stool over and land on your bottom, because we say bottom in our house, I don't care, whatever, because you're going to hurt yourself. It's already cracked. That's a dad joke. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> we say, I love you. We want better for you than what you're doing right now. You can't throw this fit. I think God wants, to know the same, wants us to know the same thing. He's saying the same thing to us. And it's not just because that's what I would do with my son, and he's a way better father to us than I am to my child because we are his sons and daughters. But the evidence is all throughout Scripture. Who memorized John 3.16 as the first memory verse they ever did? Just for extra credit, who did it in the King James Version? Not extra credit. You get an A-plus for church today. Good, good job. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believeth in him should not perish but have eternal life. And verse 17, which often gets left off, For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. But that the world through him might be saved. And it's not just in the New Testament. Psalm 103.17 But the, lo- the Lord's love for those who respect him continues forever and ever, and his goodness continues to their grandchildren. Or Jeremiah 31.13 The Lord appeared to us in the past saying, I've loved you with an everlasting love. I've drawn you with unfailing kindness. Zephaniah 3, 17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. Or Isaiah 49, 16. See, I've engraved you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are ever before me. Isaiah 49 is an interesting verse because it points to this almost universal practice of tattooing. A man in that time would engrave the name of his God or his spouse or the outline of his home or anything. And the idea was that because it was engraved on his hand, he couldn't do anything. He couldn't move. He couldn't work. He couldn't do anything without noticing and being reminded of his long lost home or his wife from whom he's been separated from for a time, or his God. He couldn't do anything. And what Scripture's saying here is that Jesus also, when he does anything, it's so that he remembers the love that he has for you and that we might remember and understand the love that he has for us. He doesn't do anything outside of that. He outstretched his arms and engraved in his palms were our names, but engraved in his palms are scars from where he stretched out his arms and died for us. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. An eternal, universal shouting, divine shouting of I love you to the world. He didn't just say it. He showed it. He laid down his life for us, and what better way is it to show your love for somebody than that? Last month when Las Vegas was attacked by a gunman, many stories of heroes who ran toward the danger, who laid down their life for someone else came out, and a couple struck, um, really hit home in this, and one was of a 15-year-old girl who said that when the shooting began, she fell to the ground, and her older sister laid on top of her and told her she loved her. 
and her sister died of gunshot wounds. Or a young lady said the same thing about her boyfriend. She felt the bullets hit his body as he laid on top of her. And you can just imagine this and you hear those stories and it reminds you what true love is because it reminds us of what the eternal love that our Father has for us is because Jesus died for us when we were not worth it and when we couldn't do anything else for ourselves and he died that we might have life and life to the full. I don't know how to more plainly or convincingly tell you that God loves you. He cannot love you more than he does right now and he will never love you less than he does right now. Your money... Your financial situation, your net worth, your giving to the church, your whatever, does not raise or lower the fact that God loves you. In Christ, we have that security. He died for us, and when we choose to follow Jesus, we are secured in that love. It doesn't matter what you do with your money, but God has a plan for your money that is better than what we can do with it. Because he loves you not because he wants something from you. And creation reminds us of our position with God. Genesis 1.27 says that somehow we are made in the image of God. And so every time he looks at you, he sees a reflection of himself. Darren Spoo says this, even in your worst moments, you are more like God than the best of the rest of creation. So I think God would start this incredibly awkward conversation by telling you, reminding you, I love you. Now let's fix this. Let's, let's move forward. I think that God would also say, I want you to enjoy what I've provided for you. Look at 1 Timothy 6.17. <laughs> It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but put their hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. And so just in case enjoyment was a tricky Greek word, we looked it up and you found, um, you find out what it really means and it means to fully enjoy, to have fun. Don't feel guilty for enjoying what God has given you. Play, find joy, relax, enjoy it with others. And the next verse says, command them to do good and to be rich in good deeds and be generous and willing to share. We see this in, in children sometimes. I don't know about your children, but Cohen, whenever he's eating something, he demands that like he shares it with Emily or I. Like, even if it's a half-chewed-up French fry, you want some, Dada? No, I'm good. I'm good, you know? Like, I don't, I, I see that you're enjoying that. I like that instinct, but no, I don't want the half-digested French fry. Thank you, though. Um, but he wants me to enjoy it because he loves French fries, and he has another French fry, and he wants to give me a French fry. We are to enjoy what we have and share it with others, and generosity is this outpouring of sharing and saying, I believe, I know for sure I have enough because I have a God, a Father in heaven who will provide plenty for me. And so, of course, you can come and you can share and I will give generously to you. So the conversation about money. I love you and I want you to enjoy what I've given you. But I think God would also say, when it comes to money, 
I want you to win. Jesus said, when talking about the enemy, the devil, in John 10, 10, he says, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so those whispers of you're incompetent or you're beyond repair or you don't have enough or you're stupid or God would never trust you with more, those come from somebody. But Jesus says, I've come that you may have life and have it to the full. And so he's saying to you, trust me. I'm going to give you enough. In fact, more than enough, more than just full. And so trust me. So if you believe Jesus, regardless of how it feels at times, all the devil wants to do is steal from you, kill and destroy you when it comes to finances. And sometimes he wins more often than we'd like to give him credit for because he's helped by marketers who make commercials that just want to tell you over and over and over again, you're not good enough without my thing, buy my thing that will make you good enough. And God's saying, you are good enough. I created you and I love you and you are enough and I will give you more than enough. And so we have to be careful who we listen to. If your finances are out of control, your life will feel out of control and that's not life and life to the full. The American Psychological Association says that money is the number one cause of stress among Americans. According to a 2014 survey which conducted a Harris poll on behalf of American Psychological Association, 72% of Americans reported feeling stressed about money at least sometime during the last month. So if we were honest in this room and we took a poll, three out of every four of us would raise our hands and say, I was stressed out this past week to the max because my finances are out of control. And I'm not asking you to raise your hand, but I'm sure that hits home because that hits home for me sometimes. I don't know if I'm going to have enough. And it's that lie whispering, you need to do something to take care of you. And God's saying, I will take care of you. Make the right decisions as I've outlined them in Scripture. In one survey polling 2,000 men and women, money, more than sex, children, or in-laws, was the most common conflict for American couples. By the way, this is why money becomes such an elephant in the room. Who wants to talk about an area of your life that feels so out of control, on the verge of losing control? You feel like you're just walking into a minefield and you're going to get destroyed at any moment. And so does it surprise you to hear that your father wants you to win? He wants better for you. He wants you to have life and life to the full. Enjoy what he's given you. There's more to what God would say. But I believe for him the bottom line is this. When it comes to money, please trust me. I love you. I want you to enjoy what I've given you. I want you to win. But to do all of that, you have to trust me. You have to trust me when I say that I'll provide for you. You have to trust me when I tell you that the borrower is slave to the lender and to avoid debt. You have to trust me when I say that you should store up some part of what you have and you should give back some part of it. You have to trust what I have in Scripture for you. But I'm getting a little ahead of myself. Look back at 1 Timothy 6, 15 and 17. 
God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who, loves, who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. And then, he, and then it continues. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. <laughs> Whose strategy is it to keep you from talking about money? If it has anything to do with fear, shame, anger, embarrassment, Whose strategy is that? Your loving father or the enemy, the thief who comes to steal, kill, and destroy? God wants you to trust and love him above anything else. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 6, 21, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Your treasure is your stuff, your money. And Jesus says, wherever your treasure is, your heart follows. The temptation to trust our finances to take care of us. God says, trust me to take care of you. There is a throne in each life only big enough for one. And Jesus may be on that throne, or money may be on that throne, but they cannot both be on that throne. And Jesus is saying, trust me to take care of you. And any parent or any child who thinks back to their parents understands this idea. Cohen last night saw two starbursts on a dresser. And so he like really, really casually was like, Dada, what are those? Those right there. <laughs> it's like, you mean these candies that you probably can't have right now? And he's like, yeah, that candy, what kind of candy is that? Is that Lifesavers? I was like, yeah, no, it's not Lifesavers, it's uh, Starburst. He's like, oh, I like Starburst. I was like, oh, do you? <laughs> he's like, yeah, maybe I can have one. I said, okay, you can have one tonight and one tomorrow. He said, okay, I just want one. Okay. And so he ate the Starburst. And then he loved it so much that he thought he should just have the second one later that night. And so he's like, hey, Dada, there's one more. I'll just have it right now. I just want it right now. And I had to say, as the parent, as the one who cares about him and doesn't want him to get sick in the middle of the night or, you know, get a bellyache even, I said, no. We said we're going to save that for tomorrow. And then it was a battle. I want that Starburst now. Now, right now. I was like, no, we're going to wait until the morning. Like, you have to wait. You have to sleep and put some, you know, time between you and now. And I had to just draw that line. Sometimes in order to enjoy what we have, we have to be a little patient. I'm teaching him this lesson. And now if I would have given, you know, given in and he had both Starbursts, before bed, it probably wouldn't lead him to a life of crime or being a serial killer. Like, I understand that. The consequences weren't that dire, but I was teaching him a lesson, you know? And so he had to go to bed without the starburst, and he did not like that. And he did not trust that if he went to sleep in the morning, we would all remember that the deal was he could have that starburst the next day, and so he wanted it right now. And it's funny because we understand that poor logic when it comes to a three-year-old who wants candy, but as we get bigger and we have bigger stakes to, to more money to play with and things, to, you, we don't understand that so much. And we say, I want starbursts right now, but maybe it's a model year newer car right now. And God's saying, just wait. Like, that car's not broken yet. <laughs> you don't need to upgrade. 
Or maybe it's, I need a, I, I need a bigger house right now. And God's saying, I'm, I have you in this house right now for a reason. It's, can you just trust me? Can we just trust God? This morning, as I was getting ready to leave, um, Cohen was awake, and which is unusual. It was very early um, in the morning. He is not a morning person. Usually he wants to sleep in like a teenager already. And so uh, he was awake, and I was like, this is weird. But he got in bed with Emily, and he was just kind of awake. And I left, and I didn't understand why he was awake, and I had forgotten something up in the room. So I went back up to the room, and <laughs> there was no noise in the room except for Cohen chomping on a Starburst. <laughs> he did not forget. That's what he woke up early for. And he got to enjoy it because we said, just be patient. And God's saying, just trust me. I am the one who created everything. I created you. I know exactly what will fulfill and provide contentment to your heart. Will you just trust me? I spoke and the entire universe became into existence. I fashioned you out of the dust. I breathed the breath of life into you. And then I said, this is the prize of my creation. I know how to take care of you. Will you just trust me? Because I love you. And so this week, Everyone's next step is to just talk, about, talk to God about your finances, honestly, openly. Even if it's, God, I feel like I've been dealt an unfair hand, and I have this debt, and it was no fault of my own, and I can't get out of it, and there's nowhere to turn. I don't know what to do. And God will say, I know. I love you, and let's fix it. Trust me. Let's fix it. That's why we offer Financial Peace University so you can see a biblical way to treat your money. That's why we do things to help people understand what God says about your money. Not because the church needs more of your money, but because God wants you to trust him with everything you have. And he's saying, I know, and I love you, and let's get it together. Let's do this together. And so with your finances, talk to God and tell him how you really feel. Let him have it if that's where you are. If that's the place you are, just, let, just talk to him. Start this conversation so the elephant in the room becomes visible and then you can start making it smaller because God wants more for you than your life to be half or stolen or destroyed. He wants you to have life and life to the full. And you can start making steps in him to head that way. And so, if you don't know what to say, just start with, God, I trust you, but help me trust you more. Because that's the battle that wages in every heart. It wages in my heart. I'm sure it wages in your heart. I trust you, but I just need to trust you more. Because I have this student debt that feels insurmountable. Me, really me. I have it, and it feels insurmountable. And God's saying, no, just keep doing the right things. Just keep making the right decisions. Just keep stepping and trusting and following the plan that I have for you, and we'll, we'll get there because I want to provide for you. Okay, God. Every day, I trust you. Okay. And so as we go into a time of communion, we're just going to remember because these emblems, the, the bread and the juice, 
represent that the cross was sufficient. And if we believe that the cross was sufficient, if we believe that what Jesus did was sufficient, then we believe that it was sufficient for our finances as well. A lot of times we think that the cross was sufficient just to cover our sins, but the cross was sufficient to give us a new life. The cross was sufficient to untie the bondage of anything that is tying you up, including your finances. Jesus wants freedom for you. He wants full life for you, and his sacrifice was sufficient if we would just trust him. And so as we take the bread and we drink the juice and we remember the broken body and we remember the bloodshed, can we just remember Jesus doesn't just want to forgive my sins. He wants to give me a full life. So I trust you, God, but help me to trust you more. Will you pray with me? God, we are thankful for who you are, and we're thankful for who we are. Help us to understand our position with you, that we are your children, and that you love us, and that you want to bless us, and you want to give us lavishly, but you want us to trust you first. So God, help us. Help us to have the courage to trust you more. We love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.